This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. Good to be with you today. And today I just want to give a heads up. We're going to be talking about some pretty sobering and difficult things, particularly related to sexual abuse inside of the Southern Baptist Convention, the broader denomination that Cornerstone Church is part of. And so just wanted to give you a heads up that what we'll talk about is hard. It's difficult. It's really disgusting in some ways. And so if that's something that for you is really hard to hear, you don't have to listen to this. But the purpose of this podcast today is really simple. I want to take some time to wrestle with the independent investigative report that was released on May the 15th regarding the Southern Baptist Convention, their executive committee, and their response to sexual abuse allegation that that had been brought forward uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, Here's a bit of why this matters. At Cornerstone Church, while we don't fly this on a flag, and I wouldn't consider us you know, a deeply connected Southern Baptist Convention church, we are a church that's con- connected organizationally to the Southern Baptist Convention. And so, as such, as a church, when I see you know, the news headlines come out over the course of the ne- last couple of days, I mean, every major news organization is carrying a story like what was on the front cover of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, regarding Southern Baptists and sexual abuse allegations. This I'm going to try to give a bit of background so that if you don't understand what exactly happened and how it happened, you can get a better understanding of that. And then I'll have a few reflections on what we're to do as we lament what we have heard as not just Southern Baptists, but simply as, as Christians who love the Church of Jesus Christ and who love the gospel and who want to see the gospel go forward to a world that needs it. So, bit of background here. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest evangelical denomination in North America. It's comprised of somewhere between 40 and 45,000 churches, has about 14 million members who are part of those churches. And as the largest evangelical denomination, there are a lot of things that that group kind of has to grapple with. How do you operate with this many churches? Well, the Southern Baptists are set up in a very loose organization. Technically speaking, the Southern Baptist Convention only exists one time a year when they do a giant annual meeting. That annual meeting, churches can send representatives, and they literally, guys, I've been to this, they vote from the floor. Like an old-style kind of church business meeting is how decisions are made. Because of the kind of loose organizational structure of the Southern Baptists, they've chosen to do a couple of key things to help them run operationally. The first is they appoint what's called an executive committee, which is made up of paid staff, this will become very important in a minute, and unpaid trustees. So the paid staff of the executive committee, what's their main job? Well, they have two big jobs. Job number one is they put together the details of the annual convention when Southern Baptist churches meet together. So that's the first main job of the executive committee. The second main job of the executive committee is to distribute what are called cooperative program dollars. Southern Baptists determined, this is now 
many, many years ago, that they would pool together their resources inside of something that is called the cooperative program. That basically dollars given to the Southern Baptist Executive Committee would be distributed out to help gospel mission go forward. And so those Southern Baptist cooperative program dollars fund organizations like the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, which is a um, basically a political advocacy group that works for the rights of Christians and religious minorities in the U.S. They fund the seminaries of the Southern Baptist Convention, from Midwestern Seminary in Kansas City to Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. But probably most importantly, the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention funds international missions through what's called the International Mission Board, or IMB, and it funds church planting in North America through the North American Mission Board. So, this organization, the Southern Baptist Convention, the executive committee provides an important function for distributing financial resources and basically guarding and setting up the legacy of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, keep in mind the executive committee is made up of paid staff members and trustees. The trustees are elected and appointed and serve, and many times they're pastors or leaders from across the country, whereas the uh, paid officials, whether it's the president of the convention or the executive staff, they are paid by the Southern Baptist Convention and really are working out of Nashville, uh, I think it's Nashville, Tennessee, uh, to basically steer the direction of the convention. Now, here's what's disturbing. On May the 15th, Guidepost Solutions, an independent uh, organization that really exists to investigate charges of sexual abuse, brought forward a report. The Southern Baptist Convention and its delegates last year in 2021 voted to demand a report be produced on how the executive committee had handled allegations of sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention. There are lots of reasons why that motion was adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention, but a big push of them was a, a basically a series of news articles by the Houston Chronicle that detailed how there were multiple uh, cases of sexual abuse, many cases of sexual abuse that happened within Southern Baptist churches that went undealt with or improperly dealt with. Well, this summary that was just released about the executive committee actions details how over the course of more than two decades, survivors of abuse and many others had been contacting the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee, the president, the lawyers who work for them, making phone calls, sending letters, reporting that there were instances of sexual abuse or child molestation that had happened. The investigation by Guidestone, as they went into it, they, were, they established a task force to do this independent expose, and here's what they found. This was the information that was released. They found that there were members of the executive committee, most notably uh, a Southern Baptist pastor named Johnny Hunt, who was one of the most well-known Southern Baptist leaders. He was the president of the Southern Baptist Convention from 2008 to 2010, who has a credible allegation of sexual assault brought against him. 
Additionally, their investigation found that over the course of many years, while the executive committee received allegations of abuse, they largely acted not to try to figure out whether abuse was happening or to alert people of the presence of abusers in the church, but to avoid financial or potential liability for the Southern Baptist Convention. In fact, one particular member of the executive committee, the paid staff member, um, this gentleman, August or Augie Bodo, he was the general counsel and later an interim president of the executive committee. He and staff members had actually for decades maintained a list of those who were accused of sexual abuse connected to SBC-affiliated organizations or churches. That list contained the names of 703 abusers. It says 409 are believed to be SBC-affiliated. And in the investigation, it shows that nine of those people on that list who were actively shown to be abusers remain in active ministry, two connected to SBC churches, seven connected to those not affiliated with the SBC. That is deeply disturbing, but perhaps even more disturbing is the fact that uh, Mr. Botto, the general counsel for the Southern Baptist Convention, had not shared the contents of that with the trustees. And in fact, when people had called to report accusations of abuse, the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention had simply stated, we're not able to act on any of those because we are not a uh, organization where we can demand our churches do anything. Since Southern Baptists are independent churches that are just loosely affiliated, they said, well, we can't really do much to prevent this, even though they held on to information that would have exposed those who were accused of and guilty of sexual abuse to the broader church. Even beyond that, the executive committee clearly acted in a way that was harmful and hurtful uh, toward survivors. Instead of actually listening to the stories of abuse, they minimized it, ignored it, even vilified survivors, and sought to protect the brand of the Southern Baptist Convention more than they sought to attack the problem of sexual abuse. All of this is deeply, deeply disturbing. It shows a pattern in practice among the leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention that is perverse, that's wicked, and that deserves every bit of reprimand that this report gives. It's worth noting, again, that the reason for this report is because Southern Baptists voted to have it done. They wanted to hold their leaders accountable, and they wanted to have a thorough and independent investigation. And frankly, reading it, I grieve. This is all available online. If you simply search Southern Baptist Sexual Abuse Task Force, you'll find the full report, and you can read it for yourself. Um, anyone who loves Jesus whether you're a Southern Baptist or not, I think would read this report and feel sick to your stomach. Because instead of acting to protect and to help, the leaders involved chose to try to protect their brand, to try to protect a denomination more than they cared about people. It, it seems as if the reasoning went something like this. Because the Southern Baptist Convention and our cooperative program are doing so much gospel good, we can't let allegations like this come up and damage us, so we need to hide them. It, it's the opposite of gospel renewal and repentance. Instead, the gospel should move us to say something like this. Because the gospel is so important and the work we're doing is so important and good, we have to walk in the light. 
We have to move forward. We have to acknowledge it. And so I reacted like many people did when they read the news headlines and when they read this report. I reacted with horror. I reacted feeling sick to my stomach, just absolutely heartbroken over what I read. The idea that leaders would act to protect themselves, their reputation, not to protect people who are harmed, uh, it, it's painful. It's painful. So, so what do we do with this? When we read this, how should we react? What, what are we to do? Well, I think the fir- I've got three thoughts there. The, the first is, I think the gospel moves us to hold accountable the leadership that's present and to act in a way that would be indicative of true repentance. The good news of Jesus absolutely offers a pathway of forgiveness for anyone, but there's an accountability that the Bible also outlines for a leader who would abuse the position of authority that they have to take advantage of another. There's a responsibility that those in leaders have to protect the flock of God entrusted to their care. That protection not only extends to doctrinal and moral matters, it attends to physical matters. Certainly, if we're to protect the, the flock of God from false teaching and wolves that would attack it, we should also protect the flock of God from those who would abusively lead. And so I hope that the first reaction everyone has is not to defend the actions or anything, but just to mourn, to repent, to think as God's people and go, we we can't let this happen. We have to do all that we can to change. See, repentance isn't just feeling bad. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. And right now, we need a renewal and revival of gospel repentance at the heart of the Southern Baptist Convention. I think we also, in addition to responding with repentance, organizationally need to respond with lament on a personal level. The stories of abuse that were shared, the particular, the accusation against Dr. Hunt that was shared is terrible and heartbreaking. And it's not just heartbreaking because it's bad. It's heartbreaking because there was a person made in God's image who is treated in a way that denies the beauty and status they have as an image bearer. When sex, God's good gift, is instead weaponized and used against another, it degrades and defiles and shames. And so as we read this, we not only want a repentance that goes deep to the heart of the Southern Baptist Convention, I think secondly, we just simply lament and we weep with those who weep and we think for the people who were hurt. I mean, to have abuse perpetuated against you by any other human being is terrible. But when someone who claims the name of Jesus and puts themselves forward as a spiritual authority uses that position to take advantage of you in the most personal and intimate of ways, it causes damage that is deep. And so as God's people, we should weep. We should be saddened. I think another level of reaction we should have is a deep-seated and realistic assessment of what it means to live in a world that is soaked to the bone in sin. You know, when we think about the doctrine of total depravity, as Christians, sometimes we think, well, it, I don't think everything is totally depraved. I mean, no, people aren't as wicked as they could be. Th- that's not actually the right way to understand total depravity. 
Total depravity doesn't mean you are as wicked as you could be. It means that every aspect of life inside of this world is tainted, cursed, and soaked in sin. If the world is a towel, it's been soaked in the wet liquid of sin. And no matter how hard you try to wring out that towel, there is more sin inside of it. We're sin-soaked. We're touched in every part of our being by sin. And so gospel realism in a sin-cursed world makes us realize this— any organization we put under a microscope, we will see its sins and its flaws come quickly to the surface. Because all organizations are led by people, staffed by people, full of people, and people are soaked in sin. The world in which we live, we're not home yet. It's not yet as it should be. The world isn't yet shalom. I think of the demonstration of this. I mean, I, like many of you, listen to the Mars Hill podcast that came out, put out by Christianity Today, an expose of the clear abuse of power and just brand-oriented culture that came to dominate Mars Hill Church in Seattle. If you were listening to that podcast, you realized, though, not a few months after that podcast finished exposing all the sins of Mars Hill, there was a follow-up podcast put out by Christianity Today that was an expose not on Mars Hill, but on Christianity Today which in the process of reporting on Mars Hill had encountered and uncovered their own culture of abuse and sexual threat, intimidation inside of the culture of Christianity today. That didn't make me cynical about Christianity today. It just made me realize anywhere you point a microscope to look for sin, you're going to find it in a sin-cursed world. It should come as a heartbreaking but not surprising reality that when you turn the microscope on 40,000 churches and 14 million members of the Southern Baptist Convention, that when you look for it, sin is going to be there, even sin of a disgusting and terrible sort, such as sexual abuse. That in no way condones abuse. That in no way excuses abuse or should enable us to hide or walk away from it. Instead, it just makes us realistic about the brutality and reality of the sin curse. Here's what our reaction in gospel realism should be to this sort of reality. We should long for heaven. We should long for the curse to be overthrown. But maybe a final word of thought here. What are we to do when we see institutions that are gospel institutions so perpetuated by and filled by sin? Well, I think there's two reactions. I mean, on the one side, you saw exemplified a reaction by the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention that went something like this. Since our gospel mission is so important, we need to hide these accusations so that it doesn't damage our mission. On the other side, you see another reaction that many are going to have to this report, which goes like this. Since the gospel mission is so important, anyone who's ever done anything like this, we need to burn institutions like that to the ground. I mean, immediately after this hit the news, there were many, many people connected with the Southern Baptist Convention that simply said it's time to just destroy it and get out. And I do think, friends, there is a time in which an institution or an organization can become so corrupted that it's not worth attempting to restore. 
a tree with rotten roots can't produce any good fruit. And so when information like this comes to, to bear, we do have a right question to ask. Are the roots of this thing so rotten that there's no saving it? And I understand why some might come to that conclusion. But I would want to say, in kind of a third path, we don't have to hide and we don't have to just destroy when we see sin. We can't just hide sin. We don't have to destroy it. But instead, what I want us to realize is we need the gospel courage to be honest with what's really there. But I don't think that necessitates that we always overthrow an institution. The Southern Baptist Convention is a flawed thing. We're seeing that on display. Okay? That, that's, that's clearly true. It's clearly true. But we should go very slowly when it comes to overthrowing, tearing apart, and ripping down institutions. Not just that cause gospel good, but just institutions in general. There's a movement in our society right now that anytime we see something flawed, we should rewrite it, overthrow it, and, and just blow it up. If it's a public school that has a flaw, well, get out of it. If it's a the Supreme Court that seems to be jaded, well, it can't work. I mean, there are even cries right now. I just listened to another podcast on whether Western democracy can even work anymore because it's so corrupted to the core. We live in a world that is so aware of corruption and brokenness that we've begun to think the only thing we can do is destroy the institutions that we see. In this case, I think that the reaction to say we should all get out of the Southern Baptist Convention ignores a few basic realities. So number one, we're reading a report that was put out by the messengers of the Southern Baptist Convention's request. In other words, this report's existence is part of an active repentance and renewal happening inside of the Southern Baptist Church. It's an attempt to hold to account corrupt leadership by the members of the denomination. And so the report itself is evidence of a changing direction. That's a good sign that perhaps the root system isn't fully corrupt. Not only that, but you have the report itself that makes that place, but you also do look out and you have to consider what is Southern Baptist about? It's not just a big name. It's 5,000 missionaries who are overseas. It's the planting of over 700 churches a year through the North American Mission Board. The seminary education of hundreds, if not thousands, of seminarians from Southern Seminary to Midwestern to New Orleans. Many gospel work. It's the work of ERLC, even friends. The impetus to calling for this report was the movement led by the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention that put out material called Caring Well for Victims of Sexual Abuse. Our church leaders went down to that conference. We've been instructed and helped so profoundly by what they've taught us. And that material was put out by Southern Baptist members, by the ERLC the, the organization funded by the dollars of the executive committee. That does not in any way justify what we read in this report, but it does at, cause us to hit pause that before we jump out of the denomination or attempt to burn down the institution, we should actually look to see if there isn't something worth preserving in it. Whenever we move to destroy something, what we have to realize is there's an incredible cost on the other side to rebuild. 
Protest movements can tell us what needs to be torn down, but they rarely have the moral framework that's going to be necessary to rebuild on the other side of that destruction. I think we should go very slow in jettisoning the Southern Baptist Convention. For all its flaws, and there are many, what we see here is probably not a moment where we need to jettison our convictions, get away from the evangelical church. What we see is a time not to run away, but a time to get down into the dust and to repent. It's a time for a soul-searching among the leaders of our denomination about how we put up with people in positions of leadership who care more for their power, more for their personal reputation than they do for holiness, than they do for a reality of a changed life. It's a cause for all of us to look in the mirror and realize that the sin curse that has soaked its way into the Southern Baptist Convention and shown up in this report on sexual abuse, it hasn't just affected people out there, it's affected the person that we look at in the mirror every day. All of us are tainted by sin. All of us have areas of our life that we need to repent of, that we need to put before Jesus, where we need a gospel renewal to take root in our hearts, just like we need a gospel renewal to take place in our convention. So friends, if you happen to see the news headlines, just like I did, I think the best place for us to go is to grieve, to lament this brokenness of the sin curse, to look in the mirror, and to begin the hard work of change. I don't think it's time to jettison or to move away from the Southern Baptist Convention for Cornerstone. But I do think it's time for all of us who claim the name of Christ to remember that when revival comes, it's most often a renewal of the gospel in the hearts of God's people. It's a call for purity right now as we read this report, a call for mourning over what we see, and a call for us to do better and to change as we move forward. God, give us grace to do that.